We have Nathan Hollett uh, teaching us today. It's going to be good. I've got a Bible reading just to preempt that. So if you've got your Bibles available, if you do, please open them to Matthew chapter 5. Verses, we're reading verses 38 to 42. Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 42. This is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Famous, uh, famous dialogue, famous, um, yeah, uh, very, very famous. Right, Matthew five thirty-eight. This is Jesus speaking. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Thank you, Nathan. This is going to be good. (laughs) Good morning, everybody. Um, So... One of, the, one of the privileges that I have working at New Life Church is that I am part of the bridge that connects FCC and New Life Church. And I've been doing, for uh, 10-ish years, I've been functioning as one of the chaplains. Which means, um, practically speaking, I am uh, running chapel times, that's Sounding like it's feeding back. I can talk louder if that's helpful so you can bring it down. Um, So I've been running chapels for about 10 years. I was trying to do the maths on it and I gave up in the end for how many chapels, how many talks I've ever given in that space. Um, But of late, what we've been doing, what I've been teaching um, in those chapels is what we would sort of call Discipleship 101, a Sermon on the Mount. And I started this last year and we've moved very slowly. Because there is a lot of content in the Sermon on the Mount. There's a lot of high-value things and things that need unpacking. And I have to sit and process, how do I teach this to a seven-year-old in a way that they're going to understand it? How do I teach it to a 13 or 14-year-old in a way that they're going to understand it and it's applicable to their lives? And so a few months ago, I did this talk. I gave this talk to a primary school chapel and a high school chapel. And uh, I left that going, that was really good. I did a great job. I don't always do, I don't always feel like that, but sometimes I do. And I made the mistake, or, or not, I don't know, of uh, telling my father that I thought that was a pretty good one. And he said, all right, lock it in. I'm away, you can do it. I said, okay. And so uh, here I am. So you're going to get probably 80% of what I told them with some extra things thrown in and a couple of small changes. Um, But you'll be able to see how I do it and uh, you'll see hopefully that I'm doing it in a way that uh, you can appreciate also. Um, I will preface this by saying I I have placed some tissues in my back pocket because... Um, the Lord this morning has, um, cruel tricks, probably not the right word, but um, the Lord has done me a kindness that looks not kind and has uh, reconnected me <laughs> this morning with um, 
he's reconnected me with some pain in my life that's applicable to what I'm talking about. And you're all going, oh, he's gone Rambo on somebody. Revenge. No. That's sort of the point. (laughs) Um, And so I've been down here in worship and I've been enjoying my time with the Lord. I was, you know, getting ready this morning and just became, God suddenly went, hey, remember this? Whoosh. And it just all went, whoa. Because it's, it's an old wound and it's not, it's not something that I've like, it's not something I regularly entertain. <laughs> um, and I, the, the emotional, my emotional response is not actually about the wound itself. It's, it's uh, I think the Lord is just connecting me I think the Lord is connecting me with reminding me of my pain because I think there are people in this room who are um, living and walking out some offense and intense desires for justice because you've been mistreated and different things like that. And he's reminding me what that felt like. So that... That's what the tissues are for. They're in my back pocket and they'll come out randomly. I feel like an old man. I'm just like dabbing my eyes. <laughs> well, I can't do the kid thing and just snot all over my sleeves. That's not, that's not very professional. <sighs> so we'll see how we go. All right? You ready? All right. Sermon on the Mount. If you're unfamiliar with this, and here's the, here's the gag I always use. Let's see if I've got control of this. There we go. Sermon on the Mount is Jesus teaching people. And this is a photo I took of Jesus last time I saw him. (laughs) Primary school loved that. The high school groan. The primary school go, no, no. Don't you, Adelie? I see you. But it it is a crucial teaching Matthew's five, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 that Jesus gives about what pleases God. He's, it's, a, it's an explanation of what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. That's actually what he's laying out. If you're going to follow me, here's what it is. And he's talking to a people who I believe their heart's cry is to know how to please God. As Jews, that's what they want. I, I, I sincerely believe that, particularly the audience of the day. They sincerely want to know how to please God, but they're struggling and they're bound up in that because the law has become a crushing thing for them. The teachers of the law have turned it into tick boxes. They've turned it away from relationship, away from heart issues, and turned it into, if you can tick all these boxes, you are then pleasing God. But the fact is, And Jesus says this, your righteousness needs to exceed the Pharisees' righteousness, if that's the way you're going to go. And so there's a people, I believe there's a people crushed by the weight of that. And they're looking at Jesus and Jesus goes, hey, you know what? You can please God. God blesses those who, that's the Beatitudes. There's eight of them. There's four heart realities and four external behaviors wrapped up in that. And so they're hearing these words for the first time and it's almost like the weight is coming off 
as they hear him. This is what I, I sincerely believe. I'm reading into this, by the way. If you haven't worked it out, that's not in the scripture. I'm, I'm just imagining what it would be like to be crushed by that weight and to hear someone go, actually, here. Here's a way. You'd be going, oh, 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 that does, doesn't that feel nice? I could actually do it. I could actually live in a way that pleases God. Up to this point, I thought it was impossible for me. I bring my sacrifices, I do all my things, but I still screw up along the way. And so Jesus is redefining what it means to please God's heart. And I want to say this. There are some bad Pharisees, right? We know this. But I sincerely believe that many of them, all through history, were well-intentioned people trying to help the Jews work out how to please God. And it got mixed up somewhere along the way. And I explain it to the students like this. You know, you've got Moses all the way over here and Jesus over there. That's time, by the way, between the two. They're not like on... Anyway. And God says, Moses, here is my law. Moses goes down the mountain, smashes them because they've already, they've already mucked it up, right? And he goes again, has another crack. He brings it back down and he says, hey, this is how we as God's people, because that's what we are now. We've entered into covenant. We are God's people. He's brought us out of Egypt. We've had this whole marriage ceremony thing. If you don't know what that means, we've got some talks on that. that you can go and search out. But he has, so this is what it means to be God's people. So go and do it. And they all go, okay, we'll do that. And I think... Now, if, you've, if you're a parent, you'll be able to understand some of this in a moment. Because even my, my son did it to me this morning. <laughs> it's like, tell the next generation, tell the next generation, tell the next generation. So as you go down the line, someone eventually goes, but why? And you go, um, well, we've, all, we've always, I mean, God said, and, but yes, but Why? And what if I do this? You know, kids push the boundaries. That spirit of the law, letter of the law thing, right? We say, don't do that. And they go, mm-hmm, uh-huh. And it's like, okay, hang on. So then the teachers of the, the, teachers of the law, the elders of Israel are like, okay, um, well, we think it means this. You know, don't, don't work on Some of them were really practical and very helpful. Don't work on the Sabbath, right? Okay, well, what about if my animal falls in the well? Well, that's okay. You can do that. That's fine. That's all right. You can do that. There was real reasons for some of this stuff. But then as, as it piles up over history, over time, by the time you get to Jesus, they accuse Jesus of doing away with the law. And he says, no, I've come to actually restore it to its original intention. This is how you please God. And so I've got to the point now where I think the uh, year three students, year four students, and that they can actually tell me most of that story now because I do it almost every time. So before we go any further into Sermon on the Mount, let me pose a question to you. Have you ever paused to consider how sort of fascinated by revenge humanity is? I've lost, my, I've lost control, Abigail. There we go. We are... We are. We're fascinated by revenge. Let me just show you. It's everywhere. It's in our history. It's in our popular culture. It's everywhere. 
But it gets so dressed up and we've become so sort of desensitized to it that only the most sort of vile and violent levels of revenge we acknowledge as revenge. For example, next one, Abigail, because I think I've lost control here. Um, You've got a bunch of different movies up there. Some of them you'll immediately go, yes, revenge. Yes, I get it. I understand. This is good. John Wick over there on the right-hand side. Taken up the top. Kill Bill, Equalizer. All about revenge. Very obviously about revenge. The Count of Monte Cristo on the bottom right corner. That is a, like, classic, all about revenge. The dude devotes his entire life because he was betrayed to revenge and eventually gets it, but it costs him, and it's, it's terrible. Um, then you've got down here in the bottom middle, you've got First Wives Club. Some of you are going, oh, I've seen that one. First Wives Club about a bunch of uh, women whose rich husbands divorce them, trade up for younger models. And so they, they work out how they're going to get back at him. Ocean's Eleven. It's a revenge film. Dressed up as a heist, that's a different kind of crime. Uh, mean Girls. Revenge film. And in the middle there, with pretty boy Jesse Metcalf, um, that's, uh, uh, I always get this wrong, John Tucker Must Die. It's all about revenge. It's about, I mean, he's doing the wrong thing, for sure. He was dating three women at once, dumped them suddenly to get a new one. And they, the three banded together to recruit the fourth to get revenge on him. It's all revenge, but it's dressed up as a sort of this sort of fun, bubbly, teen, happy-ish movie where everybody's laughing. And it's, it's like, but actually, no, it's revenge. Our culture is so, so sort of consumed by vengeance and revenge that we don't even see it most of the time anymore. Have you ever wondered why? Have you ever wondered why? If you haven't even thought about why, if you haven't even thought that we're a culture or a society or humanity globally consumed by revenge, you probably haven't ever considered why. But let me put it this way. This This is my thought. I think it's a pretty good one. I think it's this. The desire for revenge is an ungodly expression of our God-given desire for justice. Okay? We, as humanity, both the redeemed and, un- and not, are made in the image of God. And we have a God who loves justice. And the promises are that when Jesus comes to reign as king of the whole earth, he will reign in truth, humility, and justice. It is who he is. He is a God of justice. And so much so that in order to make a way for the restoration of relationship, he had to fulfill justice in the death of Jesus. Our God is a God of justice. And we, made in his image, we have a strong desire for justice. And it's why we cheer and champion revenge. Because it's, we see it as justice being done. They're getting their just desserts or a little bit more. And we go, yes, because it feels good. Because it scratches that itch on the inside. So we are made for justice. So now that I've sufficiently established that at the core of it, we all want justice, it just looks like revenge most of the time. Let's talk about what Jesus has to say. And I've lost control. There we go. So it says, You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. 
If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it for two. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Now, this is the model that Jesus uses. Remember, because he's over here going, I'm trying to restore the law to its original intention. And so he says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And he's quoting scripture. It's this. It's Exodus 21. And you can find it in a couple of other places because every other place seems to add an extra word or an extra thing. So you have the punishment must match the injury, a life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot, a burn for a burn, a wound for a wound, a bruise for a bruise. You also get things like a break for a break gets added in and it gets... Um, so this is from Exodus, but it's also referred to in Leviticus and it's also referred to in Deuteronomy and little things get added in along the way. So Jesus is saying, you've heard it, you know it in the scriptures, an eye for an eye, the injury must match, the punishment must match the injury, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Jesus is saying, actually, because if you look at that on the surface, it looks like we have a God who is in favor of retribution. And you go, we have a God who says, if you hurt me, I can get right back in your face and hurt you too. Just so long as I don't cross that line. You punched me, I punched you. It's like, <laughs> I talk about um, small children. Parents will know this. And if you've ever had a niece or a nephew or any kind of child interaction, you might have seen this. If you've ever been to a public park, you might have seen this. You have one child playing with a toy in the sandpit. Dig, dig, dig. Child B wanders over, says, I'll have that. And off they go. Child A gets upset, and child A has two choices. Appeal to a higher power, or I'll sort this out. Frequently, I'll sort this out, and off they go. Many times, they will not simply snatch it. There'll be some sort of whack that accompanies it. Or a snatch, or maybe the first one is a snatch. And then it goes back, and the child B comes back and says, I'll take that, and they do the whack. Child A is now in tears. Again, appeal to a higher power. I'll sort this out. I've got this. Off they go. It's like I'll kick sand in your face. I'll take that and I'll smack you with the shovel. And on they go. It escalates, right? You've seen, I'm sure you've seen this. If you've got children, you've seen this happen. It escalates and it escalates and it escalates. It's like, when will it stop? Now, that, we all know that children at their very bottom level are like the unrestrained, uninhabit, uninhibited human condition, right? They don't have those things that go, oh, I shouldn't do that. They don't have politeness. They don't have those little checks for I don't do that. So what you see in children is the heart of humanity. And so this escalation is at the heart of humanity. We want to get up because it's like, I was fine until you came in and you've offended me, you've upset me, you've wronged me, so I'm going to come back. I'm not simply going to do a wrong. I'm not simply going to restore I'm going to wrong you because you started this. So if that's the human condition, and this is the law of God, let me make this suggestion to you. An eye for an eye isn't about creating an expectation of revenge, but a restraint around retribution. Do you see that? God says, you are fallen and I know what you're like and I know because I put it in you that you have a desire for justice and I know you're not going to do real well with that. So let me put a restraint around it. 
It's the same thing with it's a similar thing with divorce. God's intention was never for divorce. But they were walking that path as fast as they could. And God said, oh, okay, I'll, I'll, let's, let's put a restraint around it then. Let's put a restraint around it. Uh, that makes it sound like it was an afterthought for God and he's not in control. It's not that, but you have, I think you get what I'm going for. And so an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth is the restraint around retribution. It's the boundaries because he knows we'll escalate it. Now, something I didn't mention earlier is I do not in any way think that Jesus is referring to international relations. Okay? This is about person-to-person relationships. Okay? So it's, it's a sort of wild coincidence or interesting timing, what's going on with Israel and the Middle East, and because that is, that is you're seeing it, you're seeing it, Firsthand, this escalation. One thing becomes this, build, 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 build. And it's very much like certain countries are like, Israel, you need to back off. And other countries are like, we're going to get involved if you go too far. And other parts of the world are going, yeah, well, if you get involved, we're coming in too. They're all sort of lining up, ready for this like interlocking. If you go, I go, you go, and on it goes. You're seeing it firsthand. This is not a comment about international relationships. This is a comment about what Jesus is saying. His kingdom people, his kingdom citizens, his disciples will live in this way. Now, to give you a little example of how this may or may not work um, at international relationship levels, um, Nikita Khrushchev, Prime Minister of the USSR, I think that's what they were called, Prime Minister, Premier, I can't remember. Um, He made this comment. We had no use talking about communist communism and communist Russia, communist USSR. We had no use for the policy of the Gospels. If someone slaps you, just turn the other cheek. We had shown that anyone who slapped us on our cheek would get his head kicked off. I'm just showing you the human condition is escalate. Seek justice, retribution and revenge and escalate because I've been wronged. But then where does it stop? Jesus then says this. I've lost control again, Abigail. You're in charge. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you this. Do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek. If you're sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it for two. You can go and research and you can see all these things about... If someone was to slap you, they'd do it in a particular way. It'd be a backhanded thing. And because that was because they were treating you lesser than, so to offer them the other cheek was to then invite them to slap you in a way again, <laughs> which would then say, actually, you're an equal. There's, there's all kinds of things like that. I, I, I don't want to get bogged down in that. What I really want you to take away is he's, Jesus is giving three examples, not an exhaustive list, three examples, real-world examples, that the people would have experienced in one form or another or seen, witnessed, been part of, Mistreatment, when people get offended, when we've been mistreated. And Jesus is saying that kingdom citizens, disciples, those who want to live a life that please God, they will do this. They will not engage in retribution, retaliation or revenge. 
Instead, they will choose the way of love, choose the way of Jesus, and turn the other cheek. And say, you know what? Yeah, I've been wronged. But I'm not going to defend myself here. Now, I am not in any way suggesting that you are required to be a doormat that people just walk all over. Okay? Because turning the other cheek is more about your heart attitude than an actual action. Okay? If you're in a workplace and there's bullying and whatever else, you 100% you follow the process and procedures for that workplace to bring restoration and bring justice about. I'm not saying you have to sit and endure that. Students, if that's going on in, in your classes or whatever, there is a system, there is a process, there are ways to get that done. What Jesus is getting at is your heart and saying we do not engage in retaliation and retribution. I will not. Kingdom citizens, disciples of Jesus, will not give as good as they get. What Jesus is after is a heart transformation. You see, when we are offended, because we will be offended, and I'll say this, you being offended, you being mistreated, and this turn the other cheek is not some sort of emotional detachment and voidness, right? It's not like sticks and stones when I break my bones, but names will never hurt me, this sort of um, separate from that. It isn't that. Because that's unhealthy too. What it is, is a, I will choose to entrust my justice to the king who is just. In the same way that Jesus endured the pain, the suffering of the cross, the taunting, the mistreatment for, for his whole ministry life, but did not retaliate, did not seek revenge, did not, could have made it very clear. Said, I, if I wanted to, there would be a legion of angels here and we'd just be done with this. There is no coming back from that. I'll just end it now. It's like a nuke goes off. Just done. But he doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. He models for us in his own life the response we are to have to mistreatment. And it's this. We choose love. We go low. And when we, be when we begin to view our relationships through the lens of the cross, through the lens of the gospel, we see that there are broken people and we all need Jesus. And just because I'm standing up here doesn't make me some sort of perfect model of this. All right? I may upset you at some point. I know I've upset different people at different stages from this community because some. Uh, I used to be young and dumb. Now I'm old and not as dumb. But when we, view, when we view those relationships, when we view those interactions where we are mistreated through the cross, what we see is that they are in need of a saviour too. And so what I believe Jesus wants is that when we are mistreated, we run to him with all of our pain and with all of our grief and we say, Jesus, it's not fair. 
And he says, I know. I've been there. He says, I know. And they need me as much as you do right now. So pray. Pray for them. That they would experience the love and the freedom that they need from their own pain which caused this. From their own immaturity which caused this. Because through the lens of the gospel, through the lens of the cross, the good news of Jesus, we're all on the same spot. We're all in the same spot. Several years ago, I was in this place. And uh, I realized as I'm about to tell part of this story, it may come out like I'm some angel in this version and I'm not. So don't get that idea. Okay. Several years ago, I went through one of the... It was a season of a month, two months. It's probably the hardest, um, at that point, the single hardest time of my life in regards to being mistreated. I was in a situation where there was just some, some vile uh, character assassination going on. And none of you know about that. And, that's that, and I, I say that because we didn't play this out in front of the community. I didn't stand up. I didn't tell people I'm being mistreated. I didn't tell people I'm in the right. I didn't do any of those things. But I would come home from work and I, at different stages and I'd just be like, God, I'm done. I'm out. Goodbye. I can't do this. It's the closest I've come to quitting. It wasn't... But it just sort of it dragged on for weeks and weeks. And every time, I, every time I did what I knew to do, it just like the hole got bigger. My, I joke about this, but I've been groomed for leadership my entire life. Um, my parents have coached me through things like how you do conflict resolution, all that kind of stuff. And so I'm, I'm doing it. I'm doing it by the book. I'm going through the process. I'm following the procedures. And at every step, it's just like the thing just keeps getting deeper and deeper. I'm like, God, what is going on? I come home and I'm just emotionally shattered. I call, you know, I'd be in places and I'd call my parents you know what? They gave the most helpful but unhelpful advice at the same time. I mean this very sincerely. And it was this. You need to ask Jesus to expand your heart in love. Because that's what it takes. And I knew it, but it made me angry. Because it hurts. It really hurts when you're mistreated, when it's not your fault. Like we know, when it's our fault, you're like, yeah, I deserve this. But when it's not your fault, and when, some, when, when there's offense and things, it's like, yeah, I know what to do here. But it hurts. 
hurts. And my choice is I have to lean into Jesus. I have to go, Jesus, you are my justice. I will not seek revenge. I will not retaliate. I won't go after them. I won't go blasting this in every forum that I can find. Because it's not what you asked me to do. It's not what a disciple does. Because it's not what Jesus did. And so to follow Jesus, to be his disciple, is to walk in his ways. And to wrestle. Now, I'm, I'm, to wrestle in the secret place. Now, I don't mean you have to do it completely alone. Okay? I had my parents. I had my wife. But for various reasons, that was the extent of the circle. My parents and my wife. Your situation might permit your house church, that small community, to be those that come around and support you in that and pray for you. You might need a smaller circle than that. Again, the reasons, use your wisdom on that one. But what Jesus wants is people that will go the way of love. Abigail, can you go to the next one, please? The Jesus model is this. He says, I know it, justice is important to you. I know that it hurts when you've been wrong, but be careful, there's a danger here. Never let your thirst for justice turn into a quest for revenge. Don't get even. You've been attacked and cheated and forced and taken advantage of. But answer the evil with kindness and generosity and then leave everything else to God. If you want God to intervene in your situation, you have to invite him in. You have to say, Jesus... Sorry, I feel like that's snot coming out my nose. Just... Ruin that point at the moment. <laughs> well, it's either that or a drip, so one or the other. Um, you have to invite him in. And if you haven't, if you have never had a theology or a view of God that allows you to complain, you have never read the Psalms. The Psalms are full of complaints. As songs. Can you imagine that? We came in on a Sunday morning and sang those ones. Oh God, why do the evil succeed while I fail? <laughs> That's what they did. Because you see, the difference between gossip and prayer is who you talk to. The content can be exactly the same. David, King David went through so much, so much mistreatment in his life under a wicked, evil king running around for years in the desert being chased 
by a super elite team of soldiers whose one job in their employment of Saul's army was to find and kill David. And you get those two encounters in the cave where Saul goes to sleep. So it's one encounter in the cave and the second one is um, he actually sneaks into the camp. Both times, people who knew, who knew the injustice, because they were part of, they were on David's side in this one, they're like, David, this is your moment. You can end it now. You can take it into your own hands and you can solve the problem. He's asleep right there. Just one little and you're done. Because these people were not thinking the way that God wanted them to. Not thinking like a disciple of Jesus, like a kingdom citizen. They're thinking like a human being. We can solve the problem if you just, and then it's all over. And David says, no, I will, in my mistreatment, in this situation, I will choose to live a life that honors God. And even honors that evil king. That is insane. But it is the insanity that Jesus asks for. But you cannot, you cannot do it. You cannot do it in your own strength. Abigail, next one, please. It requires Holy Spirit to empower you to choose love again and again and again. And there's a, there is an I'm, I'm sure this is not unique to me. I didn't come up with this. But it is an image that has brought me great comfort through my life when I've thought about these types of things. When I've thought about my own woundedness, my own brokenness. And when I come to Jesus and I say, I need help to choose love again. And the image is this. It's a heart. And it's like it's been dropped. Not from a high height. Just, and it's just sort of, it's cracked and split. And there's now gaps in it. And when I, the image that I have is that when I say, God, help me to choose love because I'm, I'm broken. I don't want to. It hurts. The image I have is like, whether you want to call it the blood of Jesus, some sort of red epoxy, whatever it is, it just oozes through the gaps. And it restores. Not only does it restore, though, it's now gotten bigger because the gaps have been filled. So this is the image that I have every time I'm feeling this way. It's like the cracks are there again. Jesus, come and fill me. Come and bring healing to my woundedness. This very real, or potentially imagined, offense and mistreatment. Because I can't do it. And he comes in and just goes. And every time it's like the heart expands and grows and grows each time. Because that's what he wants for you. He wants you to have a heart 
that has unoffendable love. Now, unoffendable love does not mean total indifference to mistreatment and offense. It means when I am offended, because you will be. When I am mistreated, because you will be. You run to Jesus. You say, fill the gaps, or whatever image you want to use, but fill the gaps, I'm hurting. That's what it means. Unoffendable love is a love that people have and they run to Jesus in their offense and in their mistreatment. And they say, Jesus, you are my justice and I'm holding on to that. Because even for the worst person who may have offended you, do you really desire them to go to hell? And maybe you're like, Yes, yes I do. You need more love. You're proving my point. Because the answer should be no. Because God's desire is that none would miss out. And so in our woundedness, in our brokenness, we say, Jesus, be lifted high. Encounter them because they need you. They're hurting, they are mistreating me or they are hurting me or my family or this situation because they need you. And you begin to pray for them. And I've seen it again and again. When you begin to pray for your enemies, the situation begins to turn around. Not necessarily because the situation turns around, but your perspective in that place shifts. The situation may change, but your heart shifts. And that is what Jesus is committed to. That is what Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says again and again with his illustrations. God is after the heart. The external should flow from the heart. And right now the external actions are all right, but the hearts are wrong. So we learn to turn the other cheek. Not entirely sure how I want to end this. But like I said at the start, I think God is connecting me to some of my emotions and my pain from my experience Because he's reminding me what it feels like. Reminding me because there are people in the room who are walking that out right now. Where there is pain. Where there is mistreatment. Where there is offense. Where there is a strong desire for justice. And you're just right on the edge. It's like, ah. And so I want to pray. I want to pray this morning. then we're going to sing we lift you up because there's nothing greater than that when you are offended when you are mistreated and you stand before Jesus and you say we lift you up Jesus be lifted up be glorified Jesus be glorified and it costs you tears to do it that is precious to the Lord
when your worship actually costs you some stuff that is precious to the Lord. So I invite you to stand. I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to pray for all of us. And if you would like specific prayer, I want to encourage you. If you would like specific prayer this morning, you can come find me. That's perfectly fine. But maybe you want to go to your house church leader. I say, could you pray for me this morning? I'm going to pray. Jesus, faithful friend, King of justice and righteousness. This morning we remind ourselves that you are good. And God, I I believe that there are people in the room who are walking through mistreatment and offense. And I thank you, God, that you see it all. Jesus, you see it, you know it, and you are right there with them. You're right there with us, whether we feel it or not. And I pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would release strength on the inside. You would release forgiveness release love like that image of the the broken heart getting bigger and being filled and getting bigger and being filled God would this be the testimony of this community that we are a people with undefendable love because we have developed the habit and the pattern of running to you when we are upset we run to you when we are offended we say Jesus have mercy Have mercy on me, get me out of this situation, but have mercy on them. They need you too. Fill our hearts again this morning with an increase of your love. We need you, Jesus. What you ask us to do is hard sometimes. It was never your intention that we do it alone. We do it in our own strength, our own power. But we try. So as we close out this morning, we sing, we lift you up. Jesus, we lift you up, though it costs us. We lift you up. We say, be glorified in our lives, though it hurts, though it costs us tears. Because you're worth it, Jesus. And when we run to you, you say, I know. I know, I see. I see your pain. And 
I've experienced it too. So this morning, Jesus, we lift you up. Because there is one seat on the throne. In control. We love you.